Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. The pandemic threw all of us into a situation where we needed to adapt to new technology, new processes, and new ways of connecting with our teammates. The upside has been that we were forced into becoming more creative, more open to risk, and more flexible than ever. On today's podcast, Ket Patel, president of KDP Consulting Group Limited in the UK and global master change agent enlightens us on how empathy and connectedness are the greatest tools to create massive change. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis on the East Coast, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast. And today we have a wonderful guest, Ket Patel, all the way from England. We love those English accents. And uh, Ket describes himself as a change Asian profiteur, uh, a co-host of his own podcast, The Change Chair. He also describes himself as a pragmatist optimist, which we will explore a little bit. He's president of his own company, KDP Consulting Group in England helping organizations and individuals be adaptive and resilient with no blaming. And before this, kept managed and facilitated change impact at EY, also in England. However, before that, he was at MSCI Financial Services in New York. Welcome, Ket. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a delight. Hey, uh, hey! It's a little intimidating because you've got you've got your own your own podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I hope that's not intimidating. It's, it's great yeah. meeting other other podcasters. Um, I, I it was uh, what what can I say? I, th- I thought it was quite a lonely space to start with. There weren't very many people podcasting about business change. It's a mm-hmm. pretty niche subject, or at least I thought it was. Until I realised there's probably a few others. Just yeah, I don't just know what your podcast. Well, just uh, what, uh, what I didn't realise is that um, they're out there, but the promotion of them is what a really difficult aspect, right? Like we don't have many followers. I'll be brutally honest. I'm okay with okay. that. Um, okay, but you know, like that building that momentum, getting people interested, um, you know, learning about others, appearing on them, you know, sharing kind of good podcasts, all that kind of stuff that's that is you know another another circle of networking that's required so yeah it's um it's good to be on thank you for inviting me thanks for listening to ours uh it it all it all adds to well let's get into um uh, something you you shared with me earlier about um all of this with the hybrid and the virtual is demonstrating the stark reality of a movement uh, that leaders and managers have to uh, navigate. They always had to going from the expert to a manager, you know, Mm. 
that's everything uh, change agents have had to deal with. But now it is incredibly even more important on the people side. Could you share what you mean by that? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know what it's been like for for you for you in your career and Mitch for you in yours. But when I was sort of developing my own sort of knowledge of change management, I was also responsible for looking after people. So, I mean, I guess I when I first started out, I got prog- I progressed based on my knowledge of change management, less so on my people. That was kind of part of the day job, and I kind of did that. <laughs> And so, as and generally speaking, as people progress in in most of their roles, they're function they're progressing based on a functional skill. Like they're they're progressing because they're getting better and better at you know being a lawyer, being you know a doctor, whatever the the, the function is. Um, but what they're not really, they're, but they're placed in charge of more and more people. And actually, no one is necessarily always focusing equally on how good are you at keeping your people aligned and motivated and engaged. Mm-hmm. Right? We go through this whole in the UK. We go through this whole kind of like you know, year end review process, you know, feedback, all that kind of stuff. And it feels a bit turn the handle. It's a bit process driven. You know, what are your goals for the year? Cool. Let's check in. How did you do? All of that kind of stuff. That was hard before the the pandemic that was hard to have that have a manager manage that plus their functional responsibility but what made it easier when you had that is that often when I went into the office I kind of almost had like this I was putting on my manager my my employee kind of you know um, persona and I could shut out my home world you know because it's not there it's not surrounding me Mm -hmm. and so I could focus on you know, what people needed and what the next thing for us to do as a team was. And as soon as the kind of pandemic hit, there was this kind of merging of everything. There was no physical wall between, you know, work and home. It was all just mixed in. So that, that, that kind of ability to have to not just now think of your people the work you do and your own personal life they all mashed into one and I think now we're kind of in this hybrid work what I've noticed is managers have to work very 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 hard on that people side of their role and if you weren't already good at it when you were going into the office or you didn't necessarily pay attention to it then actually being remote from it is just giving you an easy way out of not doing more of it. You're, it's actually yeah, become some. twice as hard. Yeah, for some it's become twice as hard. For those people that were really good at it, I think they've they've doubled down because they know that this is critical to s- successful performance. So it's almost like it's polarised it. Hybrid working has polarised or, or made it more extreme. You are either sort of not great and th- therefore in a virtual environment not slightly worse and and in some respects, you were really good at it and you doubled down on it because you knew how critical it was. And I think for us in the UK and certainly kind of organisations is that that was probably where the, the biggest challenge was when we went to hybrid working. It wasn't accepting the tools. It wasn't, you know, um, getting being productive or things like that. It was about keeping those human connections, those relationships, those, um, you know, the the, the motivation of individuals and understanding what was going on with them, that that was actually a lot harder to understand. Um, okay, right. D- depending right. on where you're you were coming from. 
And you even said that um, there are some folks you saw that realized they just can't do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, what, and and that there's a, there's a really important point in that they that they realised they couldn't do that. There's aware there's a self awareness. So I think one of the things around kind of managing is that isn't taught to you is that you have to be quite self aware. You have to be about you're aware of your impact on other people, right? Not just the work you do, but the impact you have on other people and how they respond to you. And if you aren't aware of that to start with, then you don't realise the ripple effect you have on other people as well. So I think. You know, there was a level of manager who was very good at functioning what they did. They were quite good as a, as a manager in the office. But when they went to hybrid working, they really struggled because they didn't have the tools, but they were aware they were struggling to support their teams well enough. And that, that's, you know, that's really, that's humility in action, right? As a leader, knowing that you have some um, area where you aren't as good and you can actually step back and say look this isn't me maybe we need to do something different maybe someone else in the team can hold kind of like check-in sessions you know whatever it is but recognizing the gap um, and I think I don't I don't know how prevalent that was I felt more it was like people either just went uh, you know I need to get people back to the office as quick as possible because that's my right. sweet spot so or, I don't have to do any heavy lifting so I don't, yeah, I don't right. have to deal with this change. I don't have yes, to figure yes. out what I'm, why I'm not work, why this isn't working as effectively for me. All right. Well, so give us an example because you were you're dealing with folks right now with that. Uh, give us an example, please, of someone who realized that, who either was good at it or jumped into it, and now is creating that same kind of energy that um, we think of as of being a good manager face-to-face, but now needing to be that good people manager in a virtual environment. Yeah, I mean, I think there are, there's a number of good examples on, on from, from kind of people I follow on LinkedIn, but actually one of the, one of the best ones is, is probably uh, a, a team I'm working with at the moment. And I, of course, I would praise them because I think they've adjusted to hybrid working really well. But the 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 person that came it was sort of just a few months before we were all locked down there was a new team manager right and and this person had come from an operations background had been the other side of the fence of the change we were trying to make and kind of had come in to, to kind of support didn't know the team um knew of them but not to know name to face to face uh sorry no you know person to person um they we're learning the, the structure of the projects. So they had the functional knowledge of what we were trying to do, but not the project or the people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, two months later, we're in a pandemic and actually we can't all meet up, right? It's a team of 20, lead, new to the team, new to the program. One of the most important things they did was they kind of went, I could do two things here. I could immerse myself in the detail. Right. I could immerse myself in all the documents. I could read everything. I could go to every meeting. They did the flip. They, they kind of went, I'm not, I don't need, I don't, I don't need to read all of this stuff. If I go and speak to people, they'll tell me the most important things. Uh-huh. If I speak to enough people, I'll get a good enough picture. And what I'll be able to do is pick. I'll get, I'll get a kind of holistic view, different viewpoints. I'll be able to understand the context of where we're at, what we're doing. If I've got things that kind of contradict one another, I can kind of pick into that a little bit. So 
immediately before going down to their functional knowledge of what they knew to kind of pick up what their role would be they went nope not doing that i'm going to go and find out what people know i'm going to find Mm -hmm. out what people need of me and i'm actually going to do it because it also helps me check in with how people are figuring out this hybrid working and we hear a lot about psychological safety right like imagine a new leader coming in and in two months everyone being um you know remote from everybody else right how do you create that environment where everyone feels safe to say what's on their mind and come together well you need to trust the person that is leading you and nothing creates a level of trust more than being able to have a one-to-one conversation with someone and and get to know one another you know and i think what critically she spotted that immediately coming into the team and the situation made time to get to know people one-to-one and when we came together called on some of the the information she'd learned from others around the table so she's like oh i was speaking to john and john had said this about some of the work you're doing mike that's really great do you two want to talk about it here right you you know like creating a community virtually by bringing people in like it was just it's really it's almost like a sleight of hand that you can't there was nothing that's that's structural yes you know i mean there's nothing structural she did apart from just be human and go and talk to people and it was it, it you know I, I i she would have done well anyway but to have the pandemic and a virtual world and no one having ever worked for this length of time in this way to zero in on that i thought that was that's pretty kind of just i don't know i don't know what you right call it. right it's right amazing right? Com- magic, magic. <laughs> well and, and as you said however it's it's you can't leave it to magic but when you yeah. do it, um, it it works. So she immediately put herself in the frame of let me go to the people first. Absolutely. Not yeah. what's on the docket, who knows what, right? And then I love how you brought the reality of it. She's, they're on this, let's say Zoom, Google Doc, whatever. And they are, um, she's talking to them. As it's the most natural thing. Well, you know, Bob and I were talking and then Kent did. Yeah. So all of a sudden it became a new norm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, that is a really good natural example. It's, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say to me, that's, it's one of the best examples of sort of being intuitively a good people leader, right? Like it's, I'm not here to like one of the one of the common things you see when a new person comes into a role is that they look above and they say, "What are your biggest problems?" Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna address those. Well, who's shouting loudest? And they get a deluge of things thrown at them, and they drown really quickly. Right? And this and you know this lady turned around and turned it kind of slightly on its head. I mean, it helped the, in some respects that the pandemic was the deluge of what everyone was de- dealing with, but it. She kind of went, I know you guys are busy and you've got loads of stuff for me up above my seniors, but let me let me just, I need to focus on my team. I really need to understand what's on their, you know, their agenda and give me a couple of weeks, give me a couple of months and let me get my head around all of this. And I'm here, I'm supporting that top down, but the, the, that is a very, that in itself is a really different approach, right? To not focus on who's put you in place and what they need, but to focus on the people you're leading for the person who's put you in place. Um, but it would be yeah, also and- interesting to talk to someone um, and say to them, or here's the situation, 
here's the situation she was in. What it what would it take for you to first go to the people side mm. as opposed to jumping in and wanting to dig into the technical side? What what would it take? And a lot of managers probably would say something like a leap of faith because I don't have faith in that people's side because I haven't nourished that enough. Yeah. Well, there is, though, a whole new requirement uh, on top of all this with virtual, and that's technology. And and you speak to that a bit, if you would. Yeah. What's necessary there with the technology? Uh, you know, like I, I spend most of my you know, most of my work is around technology implementation. It's it's working with organizations to replace an existing or outdated technology, to leverage a new technology that will help deliver a new product. So technology is sort of like the thing. But what a lot of them forget is how are people going to use it? So that's you know, that's my role. How, how do you get people engaged in the technology and to use it? And one of the one of the things I think the pandemic has kind of highlighted for me is that when pushed into sort of corners of like in, inability to do your job as it was and technology being a potential answer, people are willing to experiment a little bit more. They're certainly willing to experiment with technology when you are saying to them, hey, do you know what? What's the worst that can happen? Because we already can't perform our day job. So let's try and get back to doing what we can as quickly as possible, leveraging the technology, the means we have. And what we would normally say, in, um, or what's normally done in most change projects when, when technology is involved, is you wouldn't ever remove the current system right, until people are really comfortable with the new system because you need that continuity of business, that continuity of service. But what the pandemic to some extent showed is that create that sense of urgency in people by switching off the old, take the business risk. And actually people will experiment. People will try to get back to where they were before as quickly as they can create a community and a space for people to talk about their experiences around that technology and people will learn more quickly. And that's what happened, right? Like I volunteer for an organization called the Change Management Institute and we are so used to when we meet, meeting physically because, you know, we're, we're all surrounded by email. We do not want another email exchange system, right, to deal with. So we were, whenever, as volunteers, we were always about meeting, um, trying to meet face-to-face, and they were generally through live events. And so the pandemic just shut that down. And we immediately went, do you know what? We've got, we've got teams. Let's, let's just – we've got no rules. We don't know how teams work. We're not 100% sure what it can do for us. But let's just start meeting once a week or once every two weeks on teams, and let's just talk. And maybe ideas will come, and maybe we'll start playing around with it. And people did. We didn't set any guidelines. We didn't set any rules. We just said, look, you know what you need to do? Use Teams as best you can for calls, for collaboration space. If you find anything useful, share it with the group. Um, And before we knew it, we were kind of just playing with different ideas. We were creating new ideas for a start. So something... I always used to do, which it, I, you know, I'd always do an update. I'd do, I'd do a presentation pack every month as an update for everybody so that everyone had access to what we were doing. I, I stopped doing them. Well, I started, I did it, but what I did is I recorded a five minute video of me talking through it and I posted it on one of the chats and people could watch it instead of having to be there. And, 
I just went, do you know what? Like I'm asking a lot of people to come and listen to me talk over slides and I'm asking a lot of people to read the slides over email. So how can I make this more accessible to people, slightly more interesting? Record. There's a record button right next to it, <laughs> right next to the, you know, the icon in Teams. So I went, oh, that looks interesting. Let's just try and record it. And so I think for me, technology is is always about creating urgency to use it because you'll always fall back to what you've got, right? You, you I'm even That's having that, it now. Yeah. Sorry, I, I mean, go on. No, no, you're you're raising a very interesting issue. What the pandemic and uh, needing to go to virtual, it created a community of creativity. Yeah. That if I go back 10 years and think about even five years about, all right, we're changing from this system to that system. Hey, it's going to be wonderful. We still resisted. Yeah. Right. And then we, they kept saying, all right, here's the check, the switch off date. Here's, ah, right. Panic. We didn't have time for any of that shenanigan. Yeah. Right. No, exactly. We had to do it. And what did it do? It created groups communities yeah. to say we have to make this work i love that yeah. i think so, we gotta, is, and, so you got to build that into the new norm you, yeah you have to build a level of crisis is definitely the wrong word but urgency right you have to build a level of urgency right and i think one of the challenges for most organizations is that they have so much invested in whatever the current system is because it's their day-to-day operations. Right. That to create that kind of urgency would be a business risk, right? And so no one wants to even consider it. No one even wants to think about injecting that kind of risk in mm-hmm. order to accept a new way of working. But what they do want is they want the new way of working. It's That's kind of like right. You, you can't have your cake and eat it, right? You can't not. But now we you can yeah you can we can when the urgency puts us in that situation we can jump into it we can be creative we can help each other i I think there's a so one of the distinctions i I sort of make between the pandemic and where we are now when it's about this urgency is we didn't have a choice and we accepted the risk and we, you know, like the risk was there, whatever happened. It all, so it's not even a risk. It was an issue, right? Like we were dealing with the results of not being able to work the way we were working before. What most businesses now need to do is recognize that risk is there, right? We don't really want it to materialize. So we really need to be really mindful of how do we reduce the chance of it happening whilst knowing full well that it could happen. So as an example, we could take a day out again extreme example but like everyone's using a system to you know i don't know to process client orders we could say do you know what on this one day sorry no client orders today not happening everybody is gonna jump on the new system we are gonna figure out every tiny little nuance of what would break if we try to use this as a live system so for one day or two days or a week we're not using the old system. We're switching it off. And we are going to take the hit. We're going to explain to our clients that the oh, process might be slower. Okay. We're going to explain okay. to our people that it's going to take a little bit more time, but we've got people there to support you with your issues. We're going to we're gonna mitigate the things that we expect to fall out, as opposed to going, can't accept it, can't have a client right. complain, Don't can't let have that, a person. Right, right, right. Don't just jump exactly. to the can't do it, can't do it. Yeah, mitigate. Yeah, I mean, and this, take the drastic day, make it happen. 
and again mitigation so like if i if you said to a client hey by the way if you put your order in or you're expecting a level of service where we would answer your phone call in 30 minutes and for this week we're it's gonna it may be more like two hours and we really apologize and if it's really urgent here's a phone line you've mitigated their concern right you've you've said to them in advance hey this is the concern we're trying but here's the benefit we hope to be operating in a new system you educated your stakeholders educated stakeholders but also we gave our people the space and capacity to try something new because they knew that if a client came in they had the support above right because it was a coordinated effort and that to me is fundamental in making change i love that and in a non-pandemic is you're trying to mitigate the risks of your existing business so take what we learned from the pandemic about what we are really capable of and create the sense of whatever that was where our normal selves would say, oh, no way, we can't do that. We can't stop serving the customer for a day. Starbucks does it, though. I've gone up to Starbucks and say, hey, we're all closed today for X, Y. They did it. They do it. And we go, well, okay. (laughs) All right, listen. I was just I was just gonna say one more thing I think people are amenable to change when you again it's very old adage right people are more amenable to change when they're kind of sighted on it they feel included in it so if that's your customer if that's your employee bringing them in helping them understand their role in it you know saying you've got their back and that we recognize the challenge and but it's gonna all of those things are really important and we recognize how important they were in the pandemic create the right environment for people to try new stuff and what we can't do is for, we can't forget that they're still important when we go out of the pandemic and we're trying to do change at breakneck speed still right right and but address it we don't we <laughs> yeah. uh, unfortunately and maybe this is something that upper management has learned through all of this is you can't just throw it over the fence and oh well let them figure it out because i've heard that before right no, you have to address it. You have to say this is going to cause an upheaval for four hours for a day. And you all can step into this because we're supporting you. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, I had a question because um, I really love the, the information you've given us in, in the era of building community. I'd like to know what what have some other companies done to build community? You mentioned that one um, woman manager who... Um, who appreciated other people and said, yeah, you know, I got all these ideas from all these other, other people. What I'm seeing Kat is that the, the key here is to build community before you, you try and change things. Um, the pandemic basically said, oh. whoops, we had to go build community because we didn't have that, that choice. Having said that, it sounds like if we wanted to make change going forward, we would want to build those communities ahead of time so that we're, we're more able to take risk. So what would we do then Amazing. to build communities within our companies? Yeah, can I say that is such an amazing observation as well, right? Because I don't think companies recognize the power of the network of their people away from a hierarchy and structure, right? Like the network of their people. We talk about kind of change agent networks in in organizations and in organizational change. They are just like I could go in and I can talk to an organization and say these are the things that we should do. But who do they trust more, me saying it or someone, a manager who's been there for five or six years, knows the number of people, has trusted relationships. 
So we're talking about leveraging trusted relationships and that takes time to build as we said you know like you you can't build a trusted relationship one-on-one with people overnight so how i mean how do you do that i think you have to look at you know people wanting not first to get change done but first to have people enjoy the work they do in the organization and be part of that community that is understanding what their role is within other you know the the wider organization and you know managers good good managers and leaders try to do that all the time throughout their work with their teams right they're they're trying to share with them hey by the way this is what you know the exec is saying this is the new thing that's coming they're sharing information they're trying to build trust they're getting feedback right and it's often because we know that things are going to change at times and at points we'll need to push harder on people sometimes to get them to do things that we might not have expected them to do uh, or that we might not have expected for ourselves to do and we need people to double down or work harder um, and so I think it's about recognizing what people need as individuals it's about building that trusted relationship with them and then also empowering them to take decisions Right. Between those three things as a manager, if you can create that kind of environment and you can support people, you will gain incredible trust. And that's that's amazingly powerful when it comes to kind of sort of change agent, you know, leading change, generating change agent networks. I mean, I'll give you a really silly example. And and, and I think well, the reason I say it's silly is because it's not kind of an organizational um, example. But like my wife volunteers for our, our local school. And the person that used to run the voluntary network, she spent a lot of time kind of understanding, you know, talking to mums around the school as kids drop off and things like that. But when it came to organising things like a like um, events for the kids, she had everybody would throw their time in energy wise. You know, she could go up to anyone and say, hey, look, I don't suppose you've got half an hour that you could quickly just do this. And people would be like, yeah, sure, actually, I'm a bit busy this week, but I'm happy to do it. I can find time later in the week, half an hour. People were always amenable to doing things for her. And the reason that is so kind of obvious was that there was always like a, a, a vibe about the people that were involved. There was always an element of fun. that They would get together. They would go out for drinks. It wasn't just about getting stuff done as a voluntary team. It was about having a, a fun time whilst volunteering. And I think for me, that was kind of what's critical is you try and create an environment where people are not just there to kind of get something done. Getting something done is the outcome. Having fun while they're doing it, getting to know other people, learning about other people and what they're up to. That's the kind of that's the bit where you kind of are getting something back. A lot of what you just described, the woman uh, who was heading that was building that every single time she talked to someone. She made them feel that vibe. She made the connection when they dropped the kid off. She made the connection when she was just calling about X, Y, Z. But then that third call was was bringing them in. So you're pointing to some competencies that leaders really need to start to lean on that perhaps they left to other people before. Right. And, and I, bring, I bring this example up because um, it, there has been a change recently in this, and I hope they, none of them have. I want people to listen to this, but I hope the people that I know aren't listening to this. A, a gentleman has taken over recently. 
his focus is on how much money have we made? Um, you know, what's the, yeah. the, you know, what's the kind of, you know, how much will we generate from this next event? You know, and it's become very functional. It's become very like, hey, here's the next event. This is the time we're going to do it by. This is the amount we might raise. Now who's ready to help me? <laughs> sort of. It's not, it's not silence. Definitely not silence. But that, that, that community, that vibe of people coming together to achieve something, it's sort of lost because the immediate focus is on doing. This is yes. what we need to do. Not here's a bunch of us that genuinely believe this is a valuable endeavor. Now, what do we need to do? <laughs> it's, hey, if we do this, we'll, we'll get some money for the school. Who's up for it? And, and it's that, it's that creating that environment. It's, there is a really, there's an empathy that leaders show to the people around them and what they need from them. And they can be different people to different people. So that lady who it was leading it before, she was recognizing, okay, look really busy right now. Okay, I'm not going to ask you this time, you know, but I'll let you know what's going on. If you want to join us still for drinks or whatever we're doing afterwards, you know, like that inclusion element was never like, I'm, I'm shutting the door on you because I, I know you can't help me. It's like, I know you can't help me now, so I'm not going to ask you, but if you, you just so you know what's going on, this is what we're up to. Well, there's an inclusion, there's an empathy, there's an eye on community, right? And then there is, as you said earlier, creating then um, the energy and the forum almost to recapture what happened when the pandemic hit, creating those energies. Um, to keep for as we go about change. And I think uh, that there is for me, as I go about change projects going forward, that and convincing uh, leaders, no, you can do that. You, you can cause some upheaval in order, you know, for a few hours for a day. I, I just love that. Yeah. I, I mean, that, you know, that's what, I, what I love is this idea, this idea where, it's not necessarily a leader um, who's going to create a network in, inside of a company. And it's not necessarily a team who's going to create a network because a team is already a team. It just seems to me that um, those companies who are going to do really, really well are going to uh, provide some types of resources for, for employees to learn how to network within their own companies and, and provide, you know, cross team experiences so that, you know, they can, you know, create everything that you've, that you've stated, Jenny, which is inclusion and empathy. And, and as you're pointing out, kept fun and really getting to know each other. So it seems like that's a, that's a new skill set that was, you know, maybe inside of a company when we used to go to the office all the time, maybe not, but definitely a new skill set that must be trained uh, must be, I'm saying must, but, but that, you know, is a, it'd be a great idea for companies to say, Hey, you know, if we really want our company to be, to be successful, we've got to go create communities within uh, our company. And that's probably something that we're not gonna be able to force, right? We can't like Ket say, you know, we're gonna make a million dollars if we create networks within our company. But, um, but it, it, instead to say, Hey, let's go create some platforms or maybe even some technology that's going to allow people to create those communities and also encourage that as part of the culture of the company. No, oh, that's so great. And, and, and 
And as we all have seen working in change management, it comes back around because now you've got the community, you have the people enjoying it, you're showing empathy, they're more apart and they're involved. The dollars do come. So when you're dealing with that naysayer, well, I can't do that. I've got to go in there. I got to create the schedule. I have to hit them hard with the this yeah. and that. You have to say, well, what's your goal? Yeah. And as I bring you all the way around to the goal with your education and your child, the goal was not to replicate school. It was the goal was to learn. Now, how can we do that in this new way? Yeah. And I think one, you know, like one of the things for me in in all of this is that people think change management slows down the delivery of benefits because they see benefits as the thing being done, the outcome. Whereas when you create an experience, right, and you get people involved, it slows down the start, but it actually accelerates the benefits because people want to see the results. And that's, as you were saying, right, like in this full circle, but the the big challenge in the UK, I think, is that we, I myself, often get brought in when we're already experiencing challenges with the projects and therefore we're on firefighting mode. So we're yeah. just doing what we need to do in order to kind of get everyone pointing in the same direction again and trying to get, you know, the benefits realised in the frame we expect it to. And we need to then reinforce that on the next one and the next one and the next one. And then you become sort of slightly more as a mature organization. But it's not always the path that companies follow. They get over that immediate hurdle and they go back to that. Ah, we'll just do the next project. Because, again, moving away from function is really difficult. Moving away from outcome is really difficult because there's no ta- immediately there's no tangible thing you're getting from it. And then when you yes. try to link back you know, your empathetic environment you're creating and the community you're building to an ROI, it's less it's less clear through the value stream of a project, right? But uh, anecdotally, every pain practitioner I've ever spoken to would argue that the earlier you bring change in, the more likely it is your benefits get realized, either to the time you expected or if not sooner. Mm-hmm. And it's, yes, that's, we, that's yeah. yeah. The just starting the change, just starting to talk about it is the change has begun. So um, I I love it. A summary for us, Mr. Simon. Yes. Yes. um, Dr. Bianco Mathis. Uh, This this has been really, really um, interesting. I love your, um, your viewpoint on this cat where it's, it's all about, you know, we just got to go be, Go back and be human again, you know, put people first, uh, build communities and really take advantage of teams to say, hey, you know, over the last two years, you guys have really uh, gone through so much change. You've done really well. And so let's take some risk here to try some other things because we know that people are capable uh, for it. It goes back to, um, you know, I think even before the pandemic was it was always, you know, take advantage of a crisis. Uh, this is this is really one of the most it was the 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 biggest crisis we've ever had, and it's basically shown that people are very adaptable. And yeah. now we've got to really find ways, you know, as as we as we um, develop this podcast, was really to find ways for people to uh, 
to to express themselves and to be creative and to be productive in this new environment. And so let's find new ways to do that and be um, be okay with it. So, Kit, thank you so much for uh, joining us today from the UK. And thank, thank you. you to uh, thank you so much, and thank you to uh, uh, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis, and thanks to our listeners. And uh, please share these insights and this knowledge with your uh, with your friends and your colleagues. And we look forward to seeing you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>